Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the world. Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft. Welcome back, my friend, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. And speaking about doing the work you feel most called to do in the world, I'm absolutely thrilled with the fact that I have found my groove when it comes to my live stream strategy for getting out there and creating content on the social platforms such as LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and even on whatever Twitter is called today. Broadcasting live, I've been doing something very special every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings. I've been offering complimentary, full-blown, 90-minute one-on-one coaching experiences. This is for anybody who's brave enough to come and be coached by me, allowing me to do that while streaming to a worldwide audience with the potential of using the audio recording in a podcast episode like you're about ready to hear in this episode. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you a coaching conversation I had with Scott Blair. Scott has been following me for more than a decade. He has achieved so many incredibly powerfully awesome things in his own life. And not only that, but he's had such an influential and positive and profound impact in the lives of those he's led. His story of how he's taken his professional life in his employment history to whole new levels of success. I'm sure you're going to find inspiration in his approach and his philosophy and the way that he tackled getting a promotion with no income increase and how he handled that scenario only to come back to his original employer and make twice as much. It's just an incredibly powerful story. I know that you're going to resonate with so many things that Scott shares because I talk to a lot of people in my community and so many of the frustrations and concerns and feeling of imposter syndrome and all of these different things that we keep saying to ourselves and what it is that we seem to be seeking in the outside world can be found within us. The conversation was just so in alignment with what I have with practically every client I work with. I know for a fact this episode is the conversation that you needed to hear to get you unstuck from creating what you want in this world. Have a listen to this entire conversation and I'll come back in the end and see if it didn't resonate with you. All right, Scott, welcome, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing great, Cliff. Super happy to be here. I am delighted to have you here. One of the things that I learned is that you've been following me for the last more than 10 years, you said. Yes. Yes, sir. What has taken so long for us to connect? (laughs) I don't know. And I think we're, uh, you know, geographically, at least 10 years ago, I think we were almost kind of neighbors. Is that Um, right? Where were you at? 
Cincinnati area. Oh, yeah. Yep. I thought for sure I'd run into you at Panera or something. Before we begin, I want to go over a couple of things. You recognize that this session today, it is my gift to you. There's no strings attached, no expectation, no obligation. You'll ever become a paid client. Yes? Yes. Are you 100% distraction-free during our call today? Yes. I am also 100% distraction-free. I do want to let you know, though, over here to my left, I have a live transcript going of every word that we are speaking. If you ever see me kind of dip away from the camera to go look at something, it's probably me looking at the transcript. Another thing is, is if I'm looking down, I have a bunch of notes handwritten here, and I'll probably furiously write lots more notes as we're going along. So if I'm looking down, looking away, just want you to know that everything I'm doing here is in, in support of you and what you've got going on. Final thing that I'd like to ask is, may I have permission to be your coach? And before you say yes, I'm asking for permission to either say things or ask you questions that will challenge you at a deep level. Yes. We spoke before we went live today. Scott is aware that this is broadcasting live on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and is being recorded for potential use in a podcast. And as far as I know, nothing's off topic here. Yeah. Love it. That that being said, I do want to mention, I've got some C4, C5 issues going on, my vertebrae. Okay. So if you see me doing any of this, uh, you, you haven't asked me anything that made me uncomfortable. I'm probably just getting a little sore. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I have lots of information that you provided in a pre-coaching call questionnaire. I thank you for all of that information. But I'm willing to set all of that aside and just ask you this one question. What's the most important thing for you to get out of our call today? Direction. Specifically in what area or areas? Income, work, Income slash work. Is that what you said? Yes. All right. Direction, income, work. So direction, that means that we have a destination that we're going to. Where's the destination? Tell me where we're going three years from today. Your life is exactly the way that you want it. Where are we three years from now in income and work? Six-figure income, 100% remote work. All right. Now, six-figure income can be anywhere between $100,000 all the way up to $999,000. So I'd like to know what is the exact six-figure income three years from today? $150,000. All right. So there we go. And what does 100% remote work mean to you? The ability to work from anywhere. And I have a motive behind that. More than I'm, I'm not just looking to be a digital nomad or, uh, or cut the strings from the office. Mm-hmm. It's something more personal. But being able to work just from anywhere around the world that I need to. So we have a clear picture that you want to be generating $150,000 a year income. And what are you generating now? Are you willing to share that? I'm, I'm right there. You're right I'm, there now. Yeah, I just need to replace that with something that's 100% remote. Okay, so you want to be generating the same amount of income being 100% remote, full-time self-employed. Is that correct? Correct. And I'm going to write that down here. So full-time self-employed because you're employed now. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, let me, I don't know. Let me correct myself. The uh, Three years, the dream would be, yes, to be self-employed. But I can't say that I wouldn't definitely jump on an opportunity to uh, work for somebody 
hundred percent remote at one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Absolutely. Okay. So fair I'm enough. To that. Yeah. Okay. So full time self employed is an option, but you are more than happy to consider an option or fully employed. Correct. With the 150K a year, allowing you to still do that work from anywhere. That gives you a lot more freedom and options there as well. Correct. Okay. So that's the direction. If you could have anything that you want, what kind of work are you doing? Um, this is part of the direction question, I think. It would definitely be some type of mentoring slash teaching role. I absolutely love, love, love mentoring. I have a father's heart. And and so anything in that line. Now, specifically, I am really into marketing. So I could see it as a marketing role. Or uh, I'm also into self-development, spirituality, that type of, you know, coaching. So it, it might be something along those those lines as well. From your application, I gather you had previous experience as a youth pastor in a mega church. Correct. How many years did you do that? About three years. And then with the same organization, I became a missionary, went overseas to plant orphanages. And I did that for a few years as well. Excellent. And you planted two orphanages in two years. Yes. You also mentored somebody who was the person who replaced you in the youth pastor position and that you're, you're incredibly proud of the work that he's doing, given the fact that you raised him up for that position. Yeah, both, uh, both actually the youth pastor position and the person who took over the orphanages after me were, were both youth in my youth group. Nice. Uh, and I'm really proud of that fact of, of kind of multiplying myself, if you will. That is incredibly profound and, and wonderful. I, I congratulate you on both of those achievements. And I bring them into this conversation because I want not only you, but also anybody else who's tuning in to, to hear a little bit more of the, the value that you're bringing to the table here and some of your experience that you've had. Tell me about your career. I, I, I got a little overview of your career since you came back from the orphanages. How did you get into that first sales position? Was this in 2015 when this happened? Um, no, it was, it was actually much earlier than that. So maybe around 2006, I got into financial planning, basically 401k rollovers, insurance products, annuities, and the like. I had a pretty good mentor, somebody I met through a friend at church, and he just took me un- under his wing and mentored me. And I ended up, you know, becoming, I was doing over a million dollars in production a year, which is puts you top 10% in the insurance industry pretty fast. That kept going well until about 2009 when the economy started dumping and nobody was moving money. Bernie Madoff was in the news. Everybody was scared. I ended up going through pretty much my life savings trying to keep that business afloat. At that point, I actually decided just to abandon ship as it was going down, pivoted to going back to school. I ended up going back and getting my bachelor's in leadership and ministry and my master's in digital marketing. So I finished that in 2018. While I was doing that, I ended up taking a, a sales role with eight different stores, Verizon Wireless, basically. That was just to pay the bills while I was going back to school. Then I ended up getting involved with the company that I'm with now. I started an operations role and worked myself up through a couple different positions, and now I'm a regional sales manager there. 
Are you willing to share the details about being with the employer, then going to somewhere else and then coming back to that employer? Sure. They gave you more responsibility. Start from there. Yeah. So I, you know, I was doing really well in the position I was at and there became an opportunity. Somebody got promoted above me. I got offered to take his manager's role and I accepted it. And then during kind of the contract negotiation, signing of the new paperwork, I was told it came with no pay increase. So increase in responsibility, increase in title, but no pay increase. And I just, I remember being kind of upset about it and thinking, where do they do that at? How do you get a promotion that you don't get a pay raise? And my general manager, who's a longtime friend of mine, who's now my, my partner at work, uh, we co-manage together now, but uh, I went into his office and he said, he knew, he knows me well. And he says, I know you're, you're really upset about that. And he said, are you going to leave? And I said, I'm not going to leave today. I said, but yeah, I am upset. And I said, worst case scenario, I'm going to take the position. I'm going to do really well at it. And I'm going to leverage the title because it's a, it's a higher ranking, more mid-level management and I'll do well at it. And if they can't appreciate and pay me my value, somebody else will see it and eventually scoop me up. And that's exactly what happened. I did a, a year of that and just kept updating my LinkedIn and everything. And somebody reached out to me and uh, I want to say it ended up after some negotiations, I ended up at about a $25,000 pay increase with a lot of extra benefits, a company vehicle and blah, blah, blah. I signed with that company, guaranteed a year contract. They paid to move me out West and everything. Really enjoyed the work, loved it. Great company to work for. We were living in a great place. I loved everything about it. But about a year and a half later, I started getting calls from the previous company. They had a position open back in the Cincinnati Dayton market and wanted to know if I was interested. We started negotiations again. We ended up haggling over a $5,000 difference. This was actually to go to Northern Ohio. And since I just got that same taste in my mouth, they wouldn't move off how bad do you want me. It was only $5,000. We were apart. They didn't seem willing to negotiate. So I just let it go. I was happy where I was at. They ended up calling back again for the Cincinnati Dayton area, Southern Ohio. And uh, we ended up landing on an agreeable number. My son at the time was living back here with his mother from my first marriage. And he was high school age. And, and uh, I felt like he really needed me back home at that point with some things going on in his life. So it was kind of just divine timing for me. My son needed me. They were offering me a great job. I was coming back to work with the people that I previously had worked with and loved working with. So they got me back at the price we both could agree on. Nice. So that original position where they gave you this increased responsibility, but no increased pay, you leveraged that position, that title, gained some experience there, used that to get into another company with a significant increase. And then the original company came back and said, listen, we want you back and we'll pay you, which was an increase above that even. Uh, yeah, I'm more than double where I was when yeah. they wouldn't move the first time. Yeah, this this is awesome. I love all of this stuff about your story. There's so many things that about your story that inspire me. And I'm pulling all of this out because I want to I want to hear you say a lot of this in your own voice, because I, I know we're going to get into some of the s struggles or frustrations that you faced over the last several years. And I remember imposter syndrome being on the list, some s lack of self-belief. I, mean, I mean, do you see how how much you've accomplished so far as you say yeah. these things out loud? I do. This is all wonderful. This is all great. You have a 20-year-old son, and you have a daughter who is younger. Seven. Seven. And you feel like you're an incredibly 
wonderful dad. Your kids have high self-esteem and they know that you love them unconditionally. I, I love that. Yeah, my kids are my world for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You have an incredible amount of skill when it comes to sales. It's it's clear because you're in a sales position. Is that correct? I'm in a sales management position. So I do some selling, but I basically develop sales reps and my sales team. So you do coaching and leadership. Yes, sir. And teaching and training. Yes. This is all wonderful. So on a scale of one to 10, how much do you love the work that you're doing today? Oh, man. Um, eight. On a scale of one to 10, how much would you love the work that you're doing if it was 100% remote? Nine. Okay. What would bridge the gap between nine and 10 with the work that you're doing today? Is it possible? Yeah. If it was more marketing or more life enhancement coaching, which it's a sales and marketing role. So I get some of it in there. It's people development. So I get some of it in there. It's just not a hundred percent, but if it was, 100% 100% one of those two areas, at least in my imagination, and maybe paid more than it would be a 10, 10 and a half. Uh, but we're almost there. I'm, I'm happy and grateful for position. I love the people I work with. No complaints about it. Just yeah. I'm looking to tweak it. So it doesn't sound to me like you're looking to leave the day job and go full-time self-employed. You, you like the benefits of an employer that goes out and does all of the marketing and acquires clients and put you in a position where you show up and and you shine with your gifts. The only thing is, is that you'd like to utilize your gifts a little bit more in the day job. Is that correct? Yeah. um, And again, I'm not, I'm not scared to stand on my own. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy the marketing aspect of it. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, uh, the insurance and the 401k and the steadiness of the nine to five. Sure. There's comfort in that. And I settle into that. I know I do, but for the right opportunity and to earn my freedom and to earn what I want, I don't mind paying the price or paying the dues to do that as well. So, so where are you leaning? Cause well, here's the problem. He who chases two rabbits catches none. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if we're chasing remote work and doing my zone of genius. You familiar with Gay Hendricks and the Big Leap, the zone of genius language? Let me stop right there. By the way, this is one book guaranteed is a must read for you. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. So in The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks talks about four zones that you can do work in. The first zone is your zone of incompetence. Chances are, occasionally, you'll be asked to do something by an employer, or if you're full-time self-employed like I am, you'll occasionally have to have something done in a pinch, and there may not be resources to pay somebody else who is equipped to do that much better than you, and you may find yourself spending many hours doing something that is inside of your zone of incompetence, (laughs) meaning that I'm terrible at this, this looks horrible, this does not represent me well, Sure, it got done, but wow, is it terrible. You, you're, you're familiar with, you can understand that zone, correct? Yes. All right. We want to try to avoid ever doing work inside of our zone of incompetence. Next is our zone of competence. This is where, okay, I probably should not be the person doing this. I'm not, definitely not the best at this. When it comes to it, I'm barely competent. It's done. 
it's not great. It's good enough. When it comes down to it, pretty much anybody else who is also competent at doing this, most of them are much better at it than I am, far more equipped than I am. This is our zone of competence. Unfortunately, far too many people are stuck inside of doing work on a daily basis inside of their zone of competence. The third zone is zone of excellence. Now, this is the work that you do that when you do it, you're pretty much at the top of the game. This is work that when you do it, people look at you and say, wow, I wish I could do this as well as you do. You know what? Let me just, I want to hire you to do this because you're just so fantastic at it. Or your employer dumps all of this work on you, even though other people in the company does this work, you are absolutely far above the rest. Absolutely, hands down, putting this in your lap is gonna be the most profitable thing that we can have you do in this business. That's, that's their philosophy anyway. Zone of genius work means that you're pretty much better at that thing. I'm sorry, zone of excellence. Did I say zone of genius on excellence? Yeah. Yes, zone of excellence work. You're pretty much better at that task than just about anybody else. It's incredibly profitable, but it doesn't make your heart come alive. You think of some things in your business that you're doing right now or in your company that you're doing right now that, man, I'm really great at this and I'm recognized for this and this is incredibly profitable work, but man, there's there's something more that I do that is far more meaningful and it and it speaks to my heart, makes me come alive. There's something more that I long to do. And you've already given that language in your in your questionnaire. You've already even brought it out here in our conversation today. So that fourth zone is what's called your zone of genius. Your zone of genius is that work that you would do all day, every day, even if you weren't paid for it. The zone of genius is that thing that you do so incredibly well that if you do it even for only a very short period of time, the results that come from a short, small investment of time, effort, or energy produces and outweighs the benefits of some of that other work that you're doing. You're familiar with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So you've already got, just by me explaining those four zones, you've got about one-third of the value of the book, The Big Leap. The problem, by the way, with most people is they get stuck. I mean, if you're lucky enough, (laughs) you get stuck doing zone of excellence work. It sometimes uh, causes people to have what's called the golden handcuffs. They're making all the money that they need to make. Matter of fact, they could even make more money. And And they're on a trajectory towards increasing their income consistently over time. It's almost like a guaranteed path towards even greater financial success and greater financial freedom. But it requires and necessitates that they stay inside that zone of excellence, which is the zone where the soul slowly goes to die. Is that resonating with you? It does. Yes. The book is called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. He also talks about And the biggest concept is what's called the upper limit problem or the upper limit challenge. And that is where we continually bump up towards certain levels of success and then we find ourselves self-sabotaging ourselves because we don't feel worthy of the success that we have. 
we begin having dreams, we we get we find out and we discover, and I can tell you've already at least tapped into. You may not be able to clearly articulate it yet. Although let's try let's try it out. Scott, if I were to ask you what is your zone of excellence, what would that be? Marketing. Anything else inside of your zone of excellence? Customer service, diplomacy, sales. All that stuff that you're paid incredibly well to do. It's what makes you succeed in your business and it's what your business recognizes you for most. Yes? Yes. Are you able to articulate what your zone of genius is? People development, coaching, mentoring, training. And teaching. Yep. Teaching, yep. yep. I, I thought you'd be able to clearly do it. One of the things that the big leap opened up for me when I first discovered my zone of genius, what it is, and of course mine is coaching and teaching and educating, creating content, using my voice to entertain, educate, encourage, and inspire others. Of course, I knew it for many years. I just never had a a label for it. And I never understood that one could make a living doing your zone of genius. I thought your zone of genius was that thing you did on the side after you make sure you got all the money. But what the big leap will encourage you to do is to make a commitment to recognize when you're in your zone of genius and when you're in your zone of excellence to find out what that percentage is and to make a commitment within your current role to increase the amount of time on a daily and weekly basis that you're spending inside of your zone of genius and delegating the rest. Taking notes here. Yeah, take your time. I've done a lot of monologuing here. I'd like to hear from you. What what insights have come up for you already? What direction do you already feel and, and sense already? Well, just, you know, I think that was maybe in different vernacular, those things I understood, but I needed reminded of. I think it might have been John Maxwell. I went through a book years ago with the, the law of the niche. So it's very similar. But that was that was much more simplified and broke down for me there, helping me identify the difference between because I, I felt walking into this conversation once again stuck between marketing and development or marketing and teaching. And now I can kind of see the difference between the two for me. And I also can see the marriage of the two because I can yeah. still be in people development and get to market myself. I still get to create my own thumbnails and, and titles and do research and run ads, all the things that I know how to do and I do well. So yeah, that's, it's pretty eye opening. It's a great reminder. Kind of lines it up better for me. When you speak about the fact that feeling stuck between the two, but then you can see the marriage between the two, do you see more opportunity in your current role to within the next three years to step more into your zone of genius within the current role? Is that a possibility for you? Long-term next few years? I don't know. As in any corporation, the higher you go up, the more people get solidified in their positions, there's less places to move. So unless somebody leaves a position, um, there's not a lot of opportunities to keep going north. So it slows down. I think I would be qualified for the, one of those moves. I think I would be a, a top person considered for advancement, but the timing wise is is really unpredictable. I hear the advancement and moving up to another role in that mindset that you're thinking in that scenario, if it came a, if an opportunity became available, are you talking about there's a different position within the company that would allow you to operate in your zone of genius more? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it, it would really create more. It would probably be equal, probably be equal amount of time in my zone of genius. Cause there'd still be all the other stuff that has to get done. It's just, 
So just for clarity's sake, is the desired goal three years from now to be more inside of your zone of genius than you are now? Yes. Is it safe to say that your direction that you're heading towards is some other opportunity? Yes. And is there a weight that you would give towards another place of employment or self-employment? A weight. What do you mean by that? So 50-50 would be a perfect balance between I'd go either way or, you know what, it's it's probably 70% self-employed, 30% employed or the opposite or any other. No, I would, yeah, I would, I would say, again, the dream is the self-employment. So the dream, um, there we go. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. So I'm probably 80, I lean 80% towards that. Were you self-employed when you did the insurance work? Yes. Okay. I mean, and, I, again, I had a mentor, mm-hmm. but yes, I was self-employed. What keeps self-employment being a 10 out of 10 instead of eight out of 10? Um, with wife and kids, the, the security, you know, I'm, I just, you know, I'm, I'm young into my fifties, but thinking about retirement, making sure, uh, taking care of my wife and kids. Well, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with it. I did it for sure. And I did it well, but it was long hours. And then, you know, it's great because it gave me confidence. I feel like you could drop me off naked in any city in the U S and within a matter of a few years, I'll be back to six figures. I know how to grind in the hustle, but, and I could do it on my own again right now. I, but you know, to step away from what I've got and to put my wife and kids through that, I think is maybe the challenge, the mental challenge. So the 20% is for the safety and security of the financial side of things, knowing that a company can provide me 150K a year, that seems somewhat appealing. Yeah. But recognizing that maybe not as much financial certainty is there, and there may potentially be that same level of sacrifice and maybe getting back into some of the hustle, but also with the realization that I do have that freedom of working from wherever I want all the time, and there's no limit on how much income I can make, yes? Correct. Okay. Which direction would you like us to pursue in this conversation right now, where we are? So... Let me give you two quick stories. Maybe this will help. Please do. Nothing I love more than being a, a minister. Preaching, you know, on, on Sundays, it, it kind of, I don't know, there's a, there's a psychology test. It's kind of like uh, Myers-Briggs and all that. It's called the three human needs. Chloe Madan, I think, is the creator. She was one of the Tony Robbins mentors. But I took that a few years back, and in hindsight, they talked about, you know, we have things that drive us, our biggest drivers. My number one drive was growth. People you say like my son and my wife would be like, man, you're a workaholic because Friday night I'm working on Facebook ads for a T-shirt and Saturday I'm doing it. And I tried to explain to my son, it's like, no, it's like a video game to me. Like I'm trying to get to the next level. It's fun. I'm not in here hating this or working. I enjoy this. But when I took that test, I was, and, and I like to watch documentaries over movies. I would like to go to seminars and, and take courses. And I, just, I read books, voracious read. I, I just nerd out on that stuff. And so because people see me always in that activity, man, you can't ever cut free. You're a workaholic. But when I took that test and realized that growth was my driving factor, I said, I'm not addicted to work. I'm addicted to growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was eye opening for me. Then the other two things was 
uh, my top tied to was significance and contribution. Those were my second and third, but they were tied for second place. And one thing she said was, if, if you ever find one activity that meets all three, the top three of your needs, be careful because that thing could become addictive uh, and really dominate your life. And at that point, I had been removed from ministry for like 10 years. But as I looked back on that, thinking about that, uh, looking back, I was like, wow. I mean, I put it before my marriage. I know I did. I said I didn't, but in hindsight, I did. But the ability to study every week to prepare a sermon forced me to grow constantly. And I felt like I needed to constantly be growing uh, spiritually because of my my responsibility to the people. Then I had to get up and, and deliver a message and contribute to people. And then to have them come up to me at, after the Sunday service and say, oh, my gosh, you don't know how bad I needed to hear that. You've changed my life. I got, contra- you know, significance. So like this one thing of kind of preaching and serving was meeting all three of my needs. And it was the thing I could fall into deeply whenever anything else wasn't going right and, and get all this that I, that I needed. I see that in hindsight. So that being said, and then the, the, the remote work thing piece is my wife is immigrant. She's from Brazil. In the last 10 years, she's been home one time. And a lot of that has to do with she doesn't want to go without me. She don't want to take my baby away from me for long periods of time. And I can't get off more than two weeks at a time. And it and it's a two-day travel there, two-day travel back. It's really it's hard to justify the cost and the timing and everything for such a short stay. And I hate that. I absolutely hate it. I hate it for her. I hate it for her family. I hate it for my daughter. There needs to be more time spent. There needs to be more connection. That's why I want to create the remote for that reason alone is a key driver. So as I got out of professional ministry and my belief system, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but for me personally, grew outside of traditional bounds. I wouldn't be a good fit for traditional professional ministry or church anymore. Mm-hmm. Our belief systems don't line up. Theology doesn't line up anymore. I did I did, I did see a, a said guru and Yogananda image in one of your TikTok videos. Yeah, like a sad guru shirt on right now. Yeah, yeah. so some different things like that that I'm playing with and, and exploring and et cetera wouldn't make me a good fit to return that. So I guess the question has been rolling around in my mind, how do I become kind of that youth pastor that mentor, that leader, teacher, and spiritual things and life coaching without taking the only traditional route I ever knew, which was inside the church. It's a great question. Why don't you answer that right now? I guess maybe I'm starting to see, because of the internet, a little bit more of it. So, I'm, you know, that people that are coaching in those spaces and arenas and but maybe I've just kind of been blind to it because I only knew one particular way to do it. Let me ask you a couple questions. You've been following me for over a decade, yes? Yes. Have you ever been ministered to by me? Yes. Have you ever been educated and encouraged and inspired and motivated by me over the last 10 years? Yes. In both my zones of excellence and genius. (laughs) I like you, have, from the time I was a kid, envisioned my life devoted to ministry. 
I also devoted 10 years of my life in pursuit of being a full-time pastor. In fact, I was an associate pastor for 10 years. I'm sure you're familiar with that part of my story. And then I began podcasting, and also I was doing insurance as well. And I began to see, it's like, wait a second, maybe the politics side of, of ministry isn't what I'm looking for. And for the longest time, I saw the ministry that I was doing as an insurance agent, talking to people who were going through crisis moments and being there for them, providing for them, helping educate them, encouraging them, becoming debt-free and investing the difference. I mean, I, I did a lot of powerful ministry within that work. And, and then I, all of a sudden, it came to the point where even, even though I was an associate pastor, I became pretty much convinced that I'm doing a greater ministry in the world along the lines of serving God and serving my fellow man, my fellow woman. Serving people in a ministry capacity was far exceeded and exponentially higher in my role as an insurance agent than what I was given as an opportunity and what I witnessed if I was the pastor of a church full time. And I think even given your own understanding of the two different worlds, you probably understand what I mean when I say that, right? Yes. Then here I am, a guy in Northern Kentucky with about 16,000 clients geographically that I'm serving, incredibly powerful ministry. As far as I'm concerned, full-time insurance agent equals full-time minister. Just because of the perspective of who I am and where I'm coming from. In many ways, it's probably one of the reasons why I was as successful as I was in that role. But then, learning to podcast, playing around as a hobby, just following my intuition and my prompting within, that just that little nudge, just like, oh, go play with this on the side. Not because I was looking for anything, but just to have fun. And my wife and I start podcasting, and now all of a sudden we've got 60,000 subscribers around the world, grew it to over 100,000 subscribers around the world. And the emails and the messages and the conversations that I was having there, it became very clear that this was a far greater opportunity to be the minister in the world, to do the ministry in the world full time that I felt most called to do than what my insurance job could offer me. So do you see how my mindset went from, oh, I'm going to be a full time pastor one day to where I'm a full-time pastor in my role as an insurance agent, to where I'm a full-time pastor in this online business I've created. Hmm. How does that resonate with you? I like that. It, you know, it, as you're saying, I'm thinking about examples where it happens to me by nat- it natural situations. And, and I love it, but I wasn't so intentional about it. So, you know, I've got employees that, call me about personal issues. Hey, can I, sorry, man, you know, there's something going on in my marriage. Can I talk to you for a minute? You just seem like you got a lot of wisdom. You know, I was, I was helping a young man uh, market his music just as a, you know, uh, hobby and a passion project. And then, you know, after we got to know each other six months later, he called me one night crying, his girlfriend broke up and him, and I lived for that moment, you know, that was much more exciting than the marketing I was doing with them, being able to support them in that way. So, that happens in my work, but I don't think I framed it intentionally as, as you're describing. Think of it now. Looking, Look back at the last, how many years have you been with your current employer now? Besides that year off, year and a half off, uh, since 2015, so okay. eight years. So look back over the last eight years of your life. 
run it again through this new filter. Do you see yourself inside your zone of genius a whole lot more now? Yes. Yeah. Watch this. The last eight years of your, of your life, are they more fulfilling now than the last eight years were prior to this conversation? Sure. You feel it, don't you? Yes. You see the smile, right? I do see the smile. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Even with that, even though you have a great opportunity now, it's clear that you want to provide the ability for you and your wife and daughter to go back to Brazil and visit with family more frequently than what's available to you now. I also know that there are some financial desires to take care of some situations that have come up through life. And knowing that you're, but oh, let me, let me go back if you don't mind. Let me just stick a pin right there. Give me just a second. I'm, I'm going to try to make a mental note of, of where I was about ready to go because I want to go back to something you said. You were talking about the six human needs, Tony Robbins, Chloe Madonna's training. You talked about the fact that growth is your number one human need and you're tied for second place with contribution and significance. You mentioned the fact that whenever these are met at a very high level, it has the potential of becoming an addiction. Not all addictions, by the way, are bad addictions. No, yeah. If you're going to be addicted to anything, be addicted to growth and contribution. Sure. Significance may be questionable, but still, even with that, do you remember in that training that they talk about what vehicles are? I don't. I can't say. So this is an important part of that training. One of the things that you talked about is my growth is the documentaries. My growth is the reading the books, going to the seminars. My growth is this. My, and my contribution is preparing for these sermons and getting up and teaching these sermons and, and doing these sermons. That's my contribution. And my significance is when people come up and tell me how much of a, ma- a difference I'm making. All of those things that I just mentioned that I just mirrored back from what you said, those are all vehicles that get you to the destination of meeting the need. By the way, it is absolutely possible for you to use different vehicles to meet those same needs that will actually get you better results in life. So, because what I heard you say, and tell me if I heard this correctly, because I could be wrong, but what I heard you say is sometimes I put my desire and drive towards growth and contribution and significance ahead of my family or ahead of my time with my wife. Did I hear that? I So, yes, you did. I did that in my first marriage. Okay. As a young man, I was very extreme, very polarized with, with age. You're, you're, and gray, the, you're the only one. Right. <laughs> with, with age and, and some gray hair, I've been getting better. I've been getting some wisdom and prioritizing values and family and things a lot better now in my fifties than I did in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. But you probably recognized just by picking up wisdom from watching other people or just from your intuition from within, what you're probably realizing is that you could actually meet the needs of growth. You could actually use your relationship with your wife and your kids and even your relationship with your ex-wife, depending on what that relationship is like and, and anyone else, any other relationship, all of those are opportunities for amazing amounts of growth. Do you get what I'm talking about there? 
Yes. Have you ever had any conflict in any of these relationships? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So every time there's a conflict, the opportunity for growth is there. And then contribution. There's a lot of opportunity for you to contribute to your wife, for you to contribute to your children, for you to contribute to your ex-wife, depending on what that relationship is, or in any other relationship. Now, significance, your relationship with your wife could be a vehicle towards that significance. Like, for example, one of the things that I'm super proud of from an ego perspective is that I'm super proud that my wife and I have been married for 27 years and we're madly in love with each other. That's a point of significance. That's one area where that it, it meets that need of significance. Now, the interesting thing is, is, is you and I come from a very similar faith background and are on a very similar trajectory in our faith background, and we understand the idea of non-attachment to all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring in vehicles, Mm-hmm. So does does anything that I shared there, was there a reason why I felt led to share that? Did that resonate with you, the idea of introducing the topic of of vehicles for meeting each of those needs? No, it, so it was just like the, the big leap. I can see, I, I've ne- no one has framed it for me and, and given me language to it. As you describe it, I can see where I've done that a little bit, but giving me the vocabulary and the awareness, now I'm like, okay, where can I, where do I need to change vehicles? Where can I change vehicles? But yeah, I, c- I could see where I have switched vehicles already in some areas. But no, that's super insightful. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great exercise for me to look at. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and the great news is, is you can you can get out of one vehicle and hop into another as often as you want throughout life. It's, it's an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, and, and with the wisdom, you know, I could see already, I, I used to have this thing that, uh, you know, my I being a youth pastor, right? I mean, it's, and I have father's heart. I could roll up on a group of teenagers that I don't even know and jump out of the car and, and start talking to them. And, and my wife, you know, was like, you can't just do that. Like these kids don't know you, but I just felt like every kid's mine. And I wanted to kind of, if you will, you know, save every kid and be a big brother, be a youth pastor, be, be all these things. But again, in my twenties, early thirties, even at the sacrifice of time with my own family, but definitely this time around, things have been much different. I get a lot of my significance from my wife and kids as long as they hold me in that high esteem, that high regard. That's what I'm looking for. I don't need it by rescuing everybody else out there and, and doing all these things that kind of make me known or I bragged about as long as I get it at home, it's, I got a different vehicle for sure now. My family is my inspiration. That's awesome. This is one of those places where I'm going to tr- I'm going to attempt to press in, and there may be a little pain spot there when I press okay. in on it. What if I told you it's possible to not even be attached to getting that from from the family, from the wife and the kids? I yeah, I can see that. What does that speak to you? An opportunity for growth. A, a challenge for growth. Yeah, that's not that's not painful. Okay. Um, challenging, and I and it would take work, but yeah, I can see that and appreciate it yeah. and value it. The reason why I bring that up is because, especially when people have been seeking that 
whether it's validation, affirmation, all all the stuff of meeting the needs from other sources outside of you know of using vehicles outside of the wife and the kids and stuff like that. When they go and turn into the kids, what if some is like it's oh it's great we have a great relationship everything's wonderful blah blah blah. What happens when somebody's upset? And, and from their perspective, you've done something wrong. And from their perspective, they're very upset and angry with you. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, where's my significance? Where's my, where's my, this, where's my, that, and something's missing and suffering can happen there. Yeah. And what happens is when we put our ability to meet one of these human needs, into somebody else's lap we we give we're actually giving them the responsibility of how we feel right when we have the ability to 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 keep that within because that's where it comes from yeah i think i'm there uh good with my marriage kind of like the work thing you could drop me off anywhere like i i am complete on my own now which is why i'm able to be a better husband and, and love my wife the correct way and all that. Now, I don't think I need it as much from her. I love having it. Yes. But it doesn't define me or value me. I think I've worked through that. My kids are another thing. They're, they're still my world. So if they thought bad of me, yeah, <laughs> that would, it would destroy me. But that, that's something to work on for yeah. sure. It's an area of potential growth is, yeah. is all I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Very cool. And then one of, one of the other things is as soon as I heard you say, you know, I, I want to go out and I want to save all these kids. And you've said many times, I have a father's heart. You know, they're, it's like they're all my kids. Are you familiar with Rumi at all? I mean, I'm familiar, but I haven't, haven't dived in and, and did any reading or anything. Well, I'm, I'm into a season of Rumi study right now. And I was, matter of fact, I was working on it this morning before our call today. So I was easy, able to easily find this quote. He said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. Hmm. Does that resonate? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I want to pull out something from the questionnaire that I wrote down in my notes. I always talk about, you know, what are... What is the single greatest struggle or frustration that you face when it comes to your personal or professional development? And here is what you wrote. You wrote a couple of things down, but the very first line you said, finding a true mentor who is genuinely invested in my success. And as soon as I read that line, after reading everything else on your questionnaire, and I know you know about intuition, hearing that voice within, and it's like, oh, I need to share this. Here's what came up for me, and I want to hear what you say about this. I'm going to read what you wrote again. Finding a true mentor who is genuinely interested in my success. Here's what came up for me, and tell me how this hits you. You are the mentor you seek. Hmm. So my first thought is, I mean, I heard it loud and clear, stop passing the buck. I'm handing the responsibility off that the problem is I don't have that guide, that person to hold me accountable, that person to model the behavior, 
that person to love me through it. But those are all things that I can do. I can hold myself accountable. I can love myself through it. I can guide myself. Wow. You want to make a grown man cry? I know. <laughs> that was powerful. Yeah. As soon as I read this, mm. Scott, this is this is literally what came up. Scott is a true mentor. He loves mentoring people. He believes in mentorship. And what he's seeking is a true mentor that is genuinely interested in his success. And what I heard in, in that inner voice is, up till now, Scott has not been fully genuinely in, interested in his own success. He's been interested and fully invested in mentoring in the success of a lot of other people. But he's not been genuinely interested in his own success. Hmm. So I guess it begs to question for me is why would I not be invested in my own success? So I think it does beg the question. What's the answer to that question? I mean, part of it might be it's more apparent for me to get that feeling of significance that I'm seeking when I invest in others and they respond and they grow and bear fruit. I can see it. They thank me for it. It's a a way to participate. Paul's right there. Paul's right there for just a second. Can I ask you something? When you invest in yourself and you grow and you bear fruit, do you take time to speak to yourself of appreciation and gratitude? No. A true mentor who is genuinely interested in your success would. Yeah. So, I don't know why, but I don't, I don't see myself the way the others do. That's why I I put in there in my notes, you brought it up early, it was imposter syndrome. Um, I struggle with that. How do you see yourself? Um, I don't know. Strangely enough, there's a side of me, again, a super confident. Mm-hmm. I, I said it, drop me off anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm fearless. That side of you, what I'm, I'm, what I'm picking up and I could be wrong. I don't, I don't have to be right. I'm just, what I'm sharing with you is what I'm feeling though. The energy that I feel is that that super confidence is drop me off. And as long as I'm serving others, I'm off to the races. Yeah, well, I th- the serving others is key, right? 
Um, it's the old Zig Ziglar, you know, the more people that I can serve at Jesus, you know, the greatest among us, he who serves the most. Yeah. So, so I think the greatest I, commandment I, is what Jesus said when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? It is. God, okay. With all your heart. Second commandment, he said, is equally important. In fact, these two commandments sum up all of the law of the prophets. What's Love the second? your neighbor as yourself. All right. So what comes second? Loving your neighbor or yourself? Well, you got to love yourself first. There you go. Or you won't be able to love your neighbor in that manner. This is what I've picked up over the years. And tell me if this resonates with you. The greatest service that you can be to all those others is to be that true mentor that is generally interested in your own success, that you are loving yourself first at such an incredibly high, and this is one of the things I love about you. You said, my children know that they are loved unconditionally by their father. My question for you is, do you know that you are loved unconditionally by you? No. Yeah. No, I struggle with that. And I think, you know, God, I feel like I'm in a therapy session. <laughs> um, you know, part of it goes back to, I BS my way through a lot in life too. It's comes along with your natural selling ability, I guess, but I own that. Uh, and I recognize where I've done that, but I think there's, you know, that, side of me that that helps create the imposter syndrome if if people really knew they only see this but you know they don't see what you've done or what you think or what's really in your heart and those things that i wrestle with silently and inside i think creates that conflict for me and i'm hard on myself my my mother said to me just a few years ago that i was a she said something about me being a perfectionist and I laughed and I thought, are you crazy? Cause I'm all about grace and mercy. And I don't think anybody's perfect. And I'm not one of those anal uptight people. And, but I, after she said it in self-reflection months later, I it started dawning on me that, you know, I, I'm hard on myself. I beat myself up. So if I say I'm going to go on a diet and I'm only going to eat 2000 calories a day, but I eat 2087 on Thursday. Yep. I throw, I throw the hat in. I'm I'm pissed. I beat the, myself the up. Lo- the love is conditional. Yeah, and and I'm just I quit. We'll just start again Monday. Would you do that? Would you it. do that to your kids? Ha, no. Yeah. Hmm. What you're seeking is a mentor, a true mentor who will love you unconditionally. You are yeah. the mentor you seek. Yeah. I see that. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, I want to ask you this. You've been watching me for 10 years. How perfect has my life been? 10 out of 10. My life, pure perfect, no mistakes. Cliff has never admitted any wrong and certainly has done no wrong. Everything Cliff has ever said has been absolutely perfect in my eyes and the eyes of everyone else that I've seen that have followed him. For 10 years, on a scale of 1 to 10, how how true is that? Well, I'm... I don't know all the details, but I know you've ruffled some feathers. So, so <laughs> it's not, it's less than 10. Yes. Yes. It's less than 10. 
if I were to judge myself and I happen to have some intimate knowledge of myself, I'd say I'm about a four or five out of 10. And that's what makes me me. And it what's makes makes me complete as who I am. Can I read you something? Please. I sent these roomy quotes to my friend Ray Edwards yesterday. So I'm going to pull them up from my text message to him. Being desirable means being comfortable with your own ambiguity. The most ambiguous, 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 ambiguous. That's thank you. <laughs> See how perfect I am. Forget this whole live stream. Let's start the whole thing over, Scott. We can we go? I mean, everything was like perfect until just now. Can we just go start? We'll just end this recording. We'll start a new stream and we'll go from the beginning. Can we just redo this? Okay, I see, I see how ridiculous it is. Okay. Being desirable means being comfortable with your own ambiguity. The most ambiguous reality is that we are flesh and spirit at the same time. Within everyone, there is light and shadow, good and evil, love and hate. In order to be truthful, you must embrace your total being a person who exhibits both positive and negative qualities, strengths and weaknesses. It is not flawed, but complete. Hmm. Rumi. That's awesome. That's, that's confirmation on the journey I'm heading because the more I've, I meditate, you know, the more I'm kind of creating space becoming the observer between myself and, and my mind body. And, and I can kind of see that now as I'm pulling back and, and looking at me, the yin and yang that is complete, that I have all of that in me. It's in me, but it's not me. So. Yeah. You've come to the place in your journey where you understand that you are not your body. You're not your mind. You're not your ego, your persona has all of that in it, Mm -hmm. but you're not that. Yeah. But that is very much what mostly interfaces with the world around. And so we just need to own it. It is what it is. Now with that being said, once you become aware of something that is what it is and you desire change, that's where we get to be the creator. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is what it is. Do I desire to continue to be this way? No, actually, I don't. Okay, what do I want to create? Yeah, I just had that conversation with a, a friend yesterday that when you come to that realization, it's great because the, the body and the mind are malleable. Yeah. You don't like the results, you get to change it. Change your input, you'll get a different output. Let me ask you this. What actions do you think you could take to be more intentional about being that mentor that you desire? I, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to meditate and focus on what does that look like to love myself unconditionally. And I think one of the first things that immediately comes to mind is identifying the actions or self-talk or anything that, that I do I'm to, to try to become more aware of where am I beating myself up? Where, I mean, you simply made those things look ridiculous by saying, let's start the podcast over. Or would you do it to your kids? 
man, I sure wouldn't. But so. But I do it to myself. Uh, that, that might be a great starting question. As I, as I hear that voice, is this exactly how I would respond to my son or daughter in the same situation? And of course, you know, and again, see, I'm starting to, ju- I tried to justify it right there, mm-hmm. but they don't have the experience I have. They don't have, you know, of course I wouldn't hold them to the same accountability, but you know, unless we become like little children, you know, I got to treat myself that way. The father's love for myself. Accept it. Yeah. The prodigal son story. I love how Wagen Jacobson has given a, a new title for the, the parable of the prodigal son, which is the parable of the incredibly loving father. Have you ever heard of that? No. You know the story though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So the story seems to be about the son who is selfish and wants his inheritance before his father passes and he goes out in riotous living, sleeping with prostitutes, partying and t- you know, doing all the drugs, all the all the stuff he does and until there's a great famine and it wipes out all of his wealth and now he's down on his luck and he's feeding pigs in the food that he's putting in the trough and he says, Oh my gosh, these pigs are eating better than I am. My servants in my father's house eat better than this. Uh, you know, and so I know I'll bet I'll go back to my father. I'm not worthy to be his son. I'll beg for him to let me be one of his servants. And he comes up with this entire, I mean, he rehearses his speech of forgiveness. And the story goes that the father sees the son coming off in the distance, which means the father, this has been years. And the father sees the son because the father every day has been waiting for the son's return, knowing that the son would return. And when the son returns, he doesn't make the son wait. In fact, he hikes up his robes and runs towards the son. Now, there's a part I've, I've heard somewhere, and I could be wrong about this. And if I'm wrong, just discount this whole part of it. But I've been told that tradition is that if you were to hike up your robe in that, in that culture and run in public, that that would be such, such a disgrace and such a horrible thing to do that you would be the talk of the town. And the idea is that the father did this intentionally so that when his son came home, he's not the talk in the gossip of the town, but he, the father, is. Then, once he gets to his son, his son begins the rehearsal of his speech of forgiveness, and the father cuts him off. Unnecessary. You are my son. You were lost. You've been found. He says to his servants, kill the fatted calf. We're partying tonight. My son is brought back to us. Yay, wonderful. That is the unconditional love of the father. So I heard uh, in my mind some if statements from my father that kind of reduced his love to conditional. Mm-hmm. And I know it wasn't hundred percent, but that's the first time I'm seeing that pressure he put on me. He probably was doing the best he could with what he had to work with. He probably had some conditional statements from yeah. his father. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, Cliff. On a live presentation. I told you, my friend. Thank you.
good stuff. Powerful. Needed that. Yeah. That, as soon as I read through your application, I knew this was more than just about finding the work and going out and making the living. Because there's so many things you have as a possibility for you. You know that everything is open for you. The question is, am I worthy of it? And, and, and the thing is, is, Scott, I know you're worthy of it. But you will need a true mentor who genuinely is interested in your success. You need a true mentor in your life. You need a true father figure in your life who will love you unconditionally. And you are that mentor. I received that. And when you have the unconditional love of somebody who has the education that you have, the experience that you have, the skills, talents, and abilities that you have, the resources that you have available to you, which by the way, you have the resource of an intimate connection with God, which is an unlimited resource. If you could have you as a mentor, Hmm. Fully invested in you, there's nothing you can't create in this world. Uh, you know, I'm gonna take notes. I'll come back and watch this all again. I don't want to get out of the moment. Let me it's, go it's, ahead. No, it's it's it really is. It's enlightening. It's it's you know I've again I've I've done all the courses. I know all the things to say, and I know that I guess I've known probably somewhere in that in my programming, something's been, the thermostat keeps pulling me back. The autopilot set to the wrong destination because, you know, there's, I've been in, I've been in mentor groups where the other participants leaned on me for information and, oh my gosh, man, you know, what are you doing in here? You should be teaching blah, blah, blah. And two or three years later, they're smoking me at their success and what they're doing online and different things. And, and I, I had, and this is no disrespect to anybody else, but I've stood around and looked at many other people that were my peers or even maybe less talented in certain areas. And I can't figure out how they're finding success and I'm still here. And it's, it's a, it's been a pain point. And then the, you know, the beating myself up thing, that's part of the, the imposter syndrome too, because the perfectionism, because, so I tried the diet and I fell. And so I started again Monday and then I fell and then I started again Monday and I fell. And then the conversation becomes after a decade of doing that or two decades, why are you starting Monday? You're kidding yourself. You're lying. How many times have you tried this and it never works for you? And that's the imposter syndrome where like now I'm telling myself, let me pause you right there. That's not the imposter syndrome. That is the voice of other people's opinions, not yours, and listening to that voice and giving it authority and credibility in your own heart and mind, that's what leads to imposter syndrome. Do you see the distinction? Now, I agree not to give authority to the voice, but to say it's other people's, I struggle with that because I may not have told anybody I'm starting the diet. And I fell at it and I beat myself up. And then I, I go to try it again. And that's when I have, I guess what I'm defining as imposter syndrome, 
where I'm looking in the mirror saying, that's BS. You're not going to do it. You always say you're going to do it, but you never do it. You'll never complete it. You'll never finish it. You'll fail again. Why? And then, you know, you get so beat up with it that it's like, why try? So let me ask you this. Have you ever had anybody say anything like those words to you in the past as a kid growing up? Or have you seen other people say those words in judgment of other people who say they're going to do things and never do it? I've seen it. I felt it. I can't tell you, you know, back to my dad. And again, I'm not knocking him. He's not here to defend himself, but I have felt the disappointment I've created in him. I know where I missed the mark with him, even though he didn't come directly to me. Yeah. So even though he didn't come directly to you, you given, even if you, even if you think about this, what do you call that? Telekinesis or not, it's not, that's not telekinesis. That That's where you can move things, but psycho telepathy, telepathy. You, you pick up on that energy. He's sure. not, he may not be saying those words, but you are feeling the weight of those words, even though they're unspoken. In fact, they may even be more powerful given that they were not spoken. Yeah. So what I'm telling you is that voice, the the voice that's saying that that's not your voice. Those are not your words. That's the point. That that's the point that I'm saying. These thoughts are not yours because remember, and I can only say this. And many people who are going to listen to this or watching this, they're not going to understand this the way that you and I understand this. But your divine spiritual being that is pure, blameless, holy, perfect in union with Father. Yes. Yes. Your ego is something that has been developed from a clean slate. It was a hard drive that was empty with a basic operating system of life support and then imprinted on that hard drive throughout your life has been a bunch of beliefs, attitudes, and concepts about the world and how it ought to be, yes? Yes. And did you originate all of those or did you pick them up from what was already in the world? Right. I accumulated them. So the idea that you even need to go on a diet isn't even your own thought. Do you get that? Yes. And the idea that you mess up all of the time is also not your own thought. You know, why why bother? You're you're not going to do this and and if you can't have discipline in this area, you can't have discipline in any other. All of those things, those are just that what you're doing is you're taking in all of the programming from your parents, your religious leaders of, of growing up, all of the news media, all of your peers at school, on the school playground, and everything you've experienced in the world about how people are treated and judged and all this other stuff, we accumulate all of this stuff, and that's what creates all of those voices in our head. Yes. And the reason I, I can say this with confidence, and, and I know I can say it to you and you'll understand it and receive this, those are not your thoughts. You're not your mind. You're not your body. Your thoughts are pure love, peace, joy, perfection, and abundance. Your thoughts are unconditional love. That's who you are at your core. I'm going to find another Rumi quote for you. Let me see if I can find love. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking of just while you're looking the scriptures. The, the two challenges are take the thoughts captive. Yep. And then the, the opposite is think on these things. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, 
Think only on these things. It doesn't say only, but you get the idea. Here's what Rumi says. Listen to this. Your task is not to seek for love, but to merely seek to find all the barriers within yourself that you have built up against it. Hmm. Yeah, goes back to the identifying what I'm saying to myself, what I'm thinking, feeling, the actions I'm taking. Yeah, just don't identify that those are my thoughts. Those right. those thoughts did not originate from you. They've just been stored inside of you so long and you've been attached to them so long. And because they're on the hard drive of your subconscious mind, it's easy to identify that these are mine. Yeah. Let go. Wow. Great springboard for me. Something to work on there. Let me ask you this. Did you get some direction on income and work today from our conversation? Yes, because these things will impact my direction, which will impact my income, I'm sure. Your possibilities are still unlimited. I have no doubt that if you choose to hire that mentor, that true mentor who will be genuinely interested in your success... And if you were to work with that mentor who will love you unconditionally and not expect perfection from you as the ego side of you, if you will work with that mentor, you'll create whatever you want in this world. Anything you want, if you believe and don't doubt, you ask with thanksgiving in attunement with who you truly know you are in God, in Christ, you will have everything. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, there you go. I knew for a fact that if you'd listened to that entire conversation, it would have spoken to you at an incredibly deep and heart level. And if it did, and you're hearing my voice right now, I'm simply going to ask you to do me one really huge favor. Don't be like so many thousands of other people that I've heard out there. They say, Cliff, I've been following you for 10 plus years, but you haven't ever emailed. You know, this is the first time, well, Scott and I connected over Clubhouse a couple of weeks back, but more than a decade, and I'm just now getting to know that Scott's been out there this entire time. I mean, come on. And I know you, have you been listening for more than a decade and you've never reached out to me? Have you been listening for the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, and it's resonating with you at an incredibly deep level? I want to let you know, it means the world to me when you shoot me an email over at cliff at cliffravenscraft.com and you let me know that this is really making a difference in your life. In fact, I'd love for you just to write a paragraph or two about what did you get out of my conversation with Scott today? It will continue to confirm that going and doing these live stream coaching sessions and occasionally bringing one or two of those here as an episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show is content that's making a difference. So if you'd like more of these conversations curated, the ones that I think are the best and most representative of what you as an audience member of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show is dealing with in your own life, I want to hear from you. Is this resonating with you? Send me an email today. Cliff at CliffRavenscraft.com. If you want to, you could just put episode 709 in the subject line 
of the email and then just write to me. How did this resonate with you? And of course, I do want to make a personal invitation to you. Would you be willing to be coached by me online, live, just like I did with Scott? I am currently booked solid Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday next week, the first full week of September 2023. This is a brand new strategy that I'm doing, and I don't have anything booked after next Friday, so there's plenty of spots available. If you would like to be coached by me, absolutely free, complimentary, my gift to you, no expectations, no obligation, you will ever become a paid client. However, we will be doing it live on the internet with the potential of our conversation showing up in a podcast episode somewhere. But if you would like to have this opportunity to be coached by me for free, this is your opportunity. It's a full-blown, 90-minute, one-on-one, just you and I, with people listening in, but it's an all, a full-blown coaching experience with me. If you'd like to take me up on this offer, email me, cliff at cliffravenscraft.com, put live stream coaching in the subject line. I will then work with you to get you booked on a future live stream coaching session. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I can't wait to hear from you. Whether you're going to sign up for one of these 90-minute one-on-one coaching sessions with me, or if you're just going to send me an email with the subject line, episode 709, and just tell me how this resonated with you, I can't wait to hear from you. And until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do in life to the next level. Mindset and